First Peter, First Peter, <clears throat> chapter two. We stopped after we had gone through verse twelve last time. We're going to revisit verse twelve just for a couple minutes, and uh, without having to revisit all the other sessions, I think this is maybe session ten. Uh, and uh, so, if you will, we're going to go to First Peter two and verse twelve. The entire thought starts in verse 11 where he said, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. Now it's worth noting that you will have uh, the inhabitants of the world, okay, he calls them the Gentiles, those who are out there and aren't saved, it's worth noting that when it comes to these matters, you will be evil spoken of many times as if you're an evildoer, and they will take your good and evil speak of it. Now, I would caution you and adjure you as a 2023, uh, okay, Christian, that you need to avoid all this political association stuff when you're reading your Bible or thinking about life. If someone speaks evil of you because of your true Bible beliefs, that's one thing. If they speak evil of you as they do of each other across the aisle, as we say, in politics, that's not what we're supposed to be about. Because he says having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. So the, the idea of, of honest is in your dealings with people. Uh, it doesn't mean you have to say everything that's on your mind sometimes. There, there is sometimes an alternative to saying something that isn't worth saying, and that's called silence. And the child of God that walks with the Lord Jesus Christ finds it more and more and more readily a response to say nothing. We filter it because of the Scripture and the Holy Spirit. Now, when he says having your conversation honest, it's like what Paul wrote in Philippians 4 where he said, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So having your conversation honest is not you reading a bunch of articles about what somebody's doing wrong and just talking about it all the time. I was recently around a group of Christian men, I mean good Christian men, and their whole conversation was based around today's news and yesterday's news, that day's news in other words. It was just within the last few days. And here's the issue with it. The issue is that our conversation with each other especially should not be occupied with things that are still unfolding. A tragedy happened and news is coming out and this and that. And I'm reminded again of what Phillips Brooks said in 1877 at his lectures given at uh, Yale Divinity School. He said, do not Comment, use, preach, illustrate with current events because the jury's still out. 
And I, I really think that the sign of what Christians are listening to is what they talk about. I'm not oblivious to the fact that certain things happen, but it's not going to be what I talk about. And so the picture is having your conversation honest. Among, now, honest with each other as believers. Lie not one to another. That doesn't mean say everything that's on your mind. It means what you do say, be honest about it. Don't lie to somebody about it. Don't fudge and all that. Here's the problem. <clears throat> the world will justify its actions in either direction. You know, being blunt and all that kind of candid and all that, or saying whatever they think will get the job done. Both of those are a ditch, one on one side of the road, one on the other. So, just want to remind that, that he, that he says that in the day of visitation, when Christ comes, it's called a visitation. In other words, he's coming. He's kind of like the judge that comes through, you know, that rides a circuit. The circuit court judge comes through and says, okay, it's visitation day. And that's what will happen off in the future. <coughs> so in verse 12, he says that, verse 13, Submit yourselves, therefore, sorry, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of of man for the Lord's sake. We're going to read the whole thought. It's verse 13 and 14. Whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers for the praise of them that do well. So the thing that that is striking to me about Paul's writings and about the Lord Jesus Christ's teachings is that they did not constantly battle with authority was their message in conflict with authority by virtue of the message yes but they did not constantly battle with authority and that's really important to get hold of you know the average believer today now i'm going to speak from the terms of the western world like for us here in the united states of america it could be that way of of other Western countries. But Americans are, Americans are obsessed with liberty and, you know, don't infringe on my rights. It, what I'm saying is not a new thing. Bob Jones Sr., you know, like, say, 100 years ago or 80 years ago, said that your liberty ends at my nose. And the picture he gave was, he said, you can walk down the street and stretch your arms out and swing them all you want, Unless we're passing each other and you hit me in the nose, your liberty ends at my nose. And your liberty, child of God, ends at the Word of God and at how it treats others. When he says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, <clears throat> that's a spiritual truth. It takes spiritual submission to do that. Now, you and I know the Jews had trouble with that. You see... It's one thing to be the three Hebrew children and say, we will not bow. But it's another thing also to be the three Hebrew children and say, if God wants to deliver us, he will. But if he doesn't, we will pay the price. The average Christian does not want to pay any price for obeying God. Because it takes a price to obey the ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. 
I marvel at people. I marvel. I marvel at Christians. Now, I don't marvel at the lost world. You know, you're driving. Almost every day we're going to do something. You might have a trailer hooked up with tools on it. You're driving down the road and somebody's, you see them coming up in the rear vision mirror and they're weaving in and out and they're, you know, breaking the speed limit, breaking laws and stuff. You know what? About, I'll bet 50% of them, it's possible, let's put it that way, 50% of them are Christians. I've seen Christians do nothing but bellyache about just rules and laws. They bellyache about the speed limit. They bellyache about this. They bellyache about that. You show me from the Bible that the king, as supreme, the governor under him, can't tell you drive the speed drive a certain speed limit on a road. I don't I, I don't they don't have to justify it to me. I don't believe they have to justify the law. Now, I'll give you this talking to a state policeman, and uh he's I said, you know, I said what what things matter to you most? You see a lot of stuff. He'd been doing it for a while. He said, well, he said, you know, I, he said seatbelts are important and stuff. He said, I don't write very many seatbelt violations. He said, but I will tell you what I know for a fact is a factor in deaths and accidents and injuries and, and you know, people that are just totally beat up, crippled. He said, it's speed. He said, so most speed limits are not just trying to control you. They're trying to take into account the fact that people often don't have enough sense to know what's best for them. And they don't. You, you see, if you knew what was best for you, if I knew what was best for me, then you didn't know Bible. You could just live by your intuition. You could just live by your instincts. That isn't the case. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king is supreme or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of them that do well. We'll read on and come back to this. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, because you are, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, <coughs> but as the servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So you see, Simon Peter is a great vessel to put this forth because he had to deal with that in John 22. The Lord Jesus Christ said to him, he said, you know, he said, when you were young, you pretty much did whatever you felt like doing. You had, you know, a type personality, it's, you know, and that kind of thing. And you were just a self-governing, self-directed man. And so because of that, we, you know, we're going to have to talk about this. So in John chapter 21 and verse 22, Jesus says to him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. So Simon Peter had to learn that it didn't matter what God said about what somebody else has to do. He said, you obey. And there were times when the Lord Jesus Christ made it clear, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And the things unto God, the things are God. The problem people have is they try to take the scriptures and when they don't like something, <clears throat> they're going to use the scripture. But the Lord says through Paul here, verse 15, so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You say, well, what if there's a law that, you know, I can't witness? Okay. If you witness, pay the price. Now, Yes, it's, a, it's good for us to try to maintain 
some rights and liberties. That's fine. But you know what I've noticed? For every one person that might have some conflict because, say, they're preaching publicly or holding a banner or passing out tracts, there's 99 Christians that are fighting the everyday laws. They're not fighting the laws of the gospel, liberty of, to preach and teach. <laughs> they're just fighting anything that restrains them. Do you really want a world where there are no observance of traffic signals? Do you really want that? I have seen firsthand what happens when someone doesn't follow the laws of the intersection of the traffic signal. It can be devastating. It can be death. It can be dismemberment. It can be disabling. It can be all those things. So, as we're reading this, in the context, he says you're a stranger and a pilgrim. So, we're from another place and we're to observe the ordinances of this world. And as he said in Romans 14, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. For every one time that you absolutely must violate something, there's probably a dozen times that you could have complied and just didn't because it was too much trouble. I'm lumping myself in there that we have that temptation. Now for me, early on in my Christian life, it was, it was pounded into my heart and mind. And visualized. I asked a, pa a, a preacher, he was a pastor at the time, ended up doing evangelistic work. Uh, he's gone to be with the Lord many, many years now. But God really used him, especially in preaching the gospel and winning souls. And I asked him in his office one day, I said, look, if there was one piece of advice, I was only about two years old in the Lord. If there's a piece of advice about walking with God, what would you give? And he would say, Take care not to offend the Holy Spirit. And I imagine I looked at him like, well, that's a big statement. He said, I'll give you an example. He said, I'm known for being impatient when it comes to driving and getting to my meetings. And he said, the Holy Spirit many a time will convict me when I'm breaking the speed limit just to get to a meeting. And he said, right then and there, for that moment, he said, it's up to me whether or not I obey the Holy Spirit. I was sharing that one time years ago and someone, you know, interjected and said, the Holy Spirit wouldn't tell you to obey the speed limits. I was like, I'm not even going to talk to you, mister. If you honestly think that there's not enough constant reminders in the Bible that we are to be law-abiding, it doesn't matter if you don't like the law. It doesn't matter if it wasn't in the... You, the Constitution of the United... Who cares? God doesn't care about the Constitution of the United States. Oh, you can shut me off if you want, but He doesn't. It's not the most uh, resembling the Bible document in the world. It's not. And God didn't say that you're never going to have your rights. Paul, is, Paul, in his lifetime, is constantly subjected and submits to the ordinances of man. When he, when he does what God tells him and it costs him, he just owns up to it and accepts it. Okay? Simon Peter had learned this lesson and what he's saying is that governors, verse 14, as unto them that are sent for the punishment of evildoers. Verse 15, so, so is the will of God, that with well doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now watch. As free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. In a little bit, we're going to go down through it. He's going to talk about suffering. 
So when we obey the ordinances, we may suffer. When we have to obey God rather than man, you should not bellyache and fight over the consequences. That Let it sink in. Because he says, verse 15, For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free. We are free. We're from a whole different country called heaven. We're from a whole different citizenship. Our citizenship's in heaven. We're free. But we should not use our liberty for a cloak of maliciousness. But we should be as the servants of God. Now in verse 14, he said, As in the governors under them that are sent by him. This is where we get the idea of the word deputized, for example, just throwing this in here for you. And in the Old Testament, he said there was no king there. There was a, it was a deputy was king. This is the idea where we get the concept of deputation when it comes to missions, believe it or not, is the idea that someone can be sent on a mission by the higher power. So God Almighty will call someone to go to, say, the uttermost parts of the world, and He's deputized them. When they come by your church, and they're seeking support to get there because they got to have it. Now listen, many missionaries have been able to, in the old days, move to a country and find some kind of work. or And even now, when you've, you've got uh, countries that you can't get into without having... Uh, an, like an NGO, a non-government organization that you do that might be something medically, it might be doing something to help people you know, with meals and clothes and services. There are many places that's the only way you're going to get the gospel in now. And it takes someone else pouring money into it so that they can do it. You deputize them by saying, we're going to pray for you and we're going to financially support you. You deputize them. Over here in the States, uh, they have a sheriff of a county, which is like a shire in other parts of the world. And he has under him or her deputies. So they're deputized to act on behalf of the sheriff. It's a real simple concept. When Absalom was trying to draw followers, he said this in 2 Samuel 15, 3, Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. So a deputized, appointed authority is an authority. If you've ever had children and you needed, you wanted to go, you know, just have some time away from the children and you found somebody to, to babysit them, we call it child-minding. Basically, you're deputizing that person to act on your behalf well, you're gone. Now, I don't know about you, but I, to, I told the children, I said, you better obey them more than you obeyed me. More. Because they're deputized, and I expect you to honor that. You say, oh, that's ridiculous. No, it's not. It's, it's what brings order to our life. And we know the Holy Spirit is God. He's not, he's not the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're one. He's not the Father, but they're one. So he sends that deputized authority in our life. The scriptures have been deputized by God. In other words, he has decided, the Lord has said, this is what... So these authorities in life, the king is supreme, the governors, they're sent by it. They're deputized. So 
For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. It's really clear. It's clear what God would have. You know, to a good man and to a good woman, the will of God is one of the strongest reasons for fulfilling any duty. To a good man or woman, that includes you teenagers, young people, to a good man or woman, the will of God is, a, is, a, is one of the strongest reasons for any duty. I, I need no other reason than to know that this is what God, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, he said in First Thessalonians. Okay? <coughs> he said, for so is the will of God. Verse 16. As free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Now, liberty should be viewed as the freedom to do right. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, Corinthians says, there's liberty. I, I am amazed at how Christians have allowed someone else to spin that on purpose. They've allowed it on purpose. They think it's your liberty to just bring any old kind of music and attitude into, into church, for example, so-called worship that they call it. Liberty is the freedom to do right. License is the freedom to do wrong. So you, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. You know, it's malicious to misuse the law. It's malicious to claim liberty where you shouldn't have it. That's malicious. It is. That is why you can sense in, in a believer a spirit that's off. It's just off in that part of their life. See, you might be a church attender. You might even be a pastor. You might be a missionary and evangelist. You might be a Sunday school teacher. Uh, you, you might be a faithful, faithful, and you have a lot of things going in your life that are in alignment with God. And then God says, you know, every time you come up across this ordinance, this law, this rule, you buck it. And when you do, that in that area is where that foul spirit comes out. That It's malicious. And they'll even talk to you differently, actively, than they would on the rest of everything else. And if it were some other issue, they would expect the believer to obey it the way they do, but not on their issue. And if you think about it, that's something that will help us walk with Christ and to be in accord with the Holy Spirit. Now, in verse 17, when he says this, he says, Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Now, honestly, these are, these are messages in themselves. It would not take any stretch of, of the imagination or effort to, to speak, teach, preach on, honor all men. You know, the average believer is looking for a chance not to. Now watch, your flesh, your flesh. Let me back up. Your flesh does not want to honor all people. That word men is not significant for any one, you know, sex or gender, male or female. And so when we think about this, we understand it. In other words, honor all men. You know, there's a sense in which when you decide to obey the Bible, the Holy Ghost will enlist and, and apply all His power for you. 
And the thing it does for a believer is it keeps us in the right spirit. I am, I am deeply concerned for the way believers allow themselves to speak of dignities, like he talks about in the book of Jude, right before the book of Revelation. I am, I'm deeply concerned. I have been for, for years. Because the news media and the politicians speak the way they do about each other, because they do that doesn't mean you should do that. And because somebody on the so-called right does it, doesn't make it right. We should be very slow to engage in the kind of talk and the kind of rhetoric that goes on out there. Many, many years ago, I had a chance to uh, <coughs> go down to the further southern part of Australia. And we went to Canberra, which is like Washington, D.C., is in the United States. And I got to go in there and sit when they're having this thing of the Australian Parliament, federal parliament. Now, you can watch on different channels back then. You could watch part of the parliament at certain times. But I was sitting there and I was observing and the light that let them know they were on camera was off. So they were free to walk around. And they were. And they were literally, people from both sides of the aisle were mingling with each other and laughing and cutting up. And then they gave them a signal that we're about to go live. And boom, they separated. They went to each side of their aisle. And when that thing, when they <laughs> saw the signal that said you're live, all of a sudden, they're enemies. All of a sudden, they took up, you know, uh, these slanders on each other and these attitudes and this aggression. And I watched that, and to me, maybe not to you, to me, I was like, that sums it up. Because if you're not careful, you think that, that a lot of what goes on is real. And a lot of it is it's, it's a profession to them. It's an occupation. It's entertainment almost. It's manipulated. So you and I as a child of God, we should honor. Oh man, we should show them honor. doesn't mean that you're approving them, but you need to be careful. Because somebody helps pass a law that benefits you doesn't make them godly. In our situation here in the U.S., I, I have no hesitation to say that if a child of God was looking at someone to be a pastor and they were arrogant and proud, but they were more conservative or right, I don't think they'd want that person to be their pastor if they have a lick of sense. Because pride is the original sin. It's Lucifer's beginning of being Satan. And the devil. So we should be careful. We should honor all men. But we shouldn't. Now watch. Engage in lifting someone up who's proud. Putting else someone down. We don't like their laws. And engage in that conversation. Just This is just teaching the Bible. Look. Love the brotherhood. The brotherhood is not a union. Over here they call themselves a brotherhood. Brotherhood, brotherhood of electrical workers, you know, IBEW, International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, uh, International Brotherhood of Carpenters, etc. 
and the Navy SEALs, they call they, their one of their mottos is long live the brotherhood. And rightly so, I understand that. But the brotherhood for a child of God is God's people, especially God's people who are walking with the Lord and are brothers and sisters in Christ. Love the brotherhood. I am amazed at how Christians do not pursue this. And and I my burden is that they don't understand what God could do, will do, promises to do, if you will love the brotherhood above other loves. Now I believe in family and love and unity, but he told us you can't love them more than him, and you can't love them more than those who love God. Love the brotherhood. You could preach. I've got messages online on, on uh, long live the brotherhood. And then it says fear God. Do you understand these little statements, how powerful they are? And, and that's only really the point I just want to make before I close out of verse 17. Honor the king. Honor all men, honor the king. Did it say honor the king that you like? Honor the king that passes the laws you like? Look, king is a synonymous word. It's an overarching word for a prime minister, for a president, for whatever, a czar, whatever word you want to have wherever you live. It says honor it. Now, you don't have to honor it as in <coughs> lift them up like they did Caesar and Caesar demanded it, but you have to honor them. Let me give you a difference. In Ephesians 6 and verse 1, he says, tells them to children, obey your parents in the Lord. Okay, so the limit, righteousness is the limit. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. But then in verse 2, he says, honor thy father and mother. When you're living under their roof, you obey them. When you grow up and you go out into the world and you're doing your living, making a living, etc., earn your own crust, start your family, get a wife, you might end up with children. He doesn't tell you to obey them anymore. And parents, get this through your head. They're not supposed to obey you like they did when they were kids. You need to quit trying to exercise that parental power over them and expecting it and, and lording over them. But you honor them. You treat them with honor. You, you don't have to do unrighteously. You might have parents who are not saved. You don't em, embark upon and do things with them and... and entertain you know wickedness with them but you honor them you show respect honor the king now we'll pick it up in verse 18 later where he says servants be subject let me just say this ahead of time that servant man you got to read your bible friend in the old testament the lord told them that they could buy someone that was a stranger that wasn't an israelite not to abuse them and stuff. It's, it's like someone saying, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to, I'm going to provide for you. <coughs> it's like having a secure employment. It's what it is. So in the New Testament, when he's talking about servant, he's talking about be subject to your own masters with all fear, to your own employer. You see, we have been taught liberty in the Western world and freedom and rights to the point that we forget now. Do you exercise what, what rights you have and stuff? Yeah. Can you negotiate? Yes. We'll talk about that next time. But let's stop there for now in verse 17. But remember these, these very short sayings. 
honor all men. Boom. Like a commandment. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. These are not suggestions. These are scripture. God chose to put them within the 66 books of your Bible. He preserved them that way. He put them in what they call the canons with just one N-C-O-C-A-N-O-N of scripture. And so we should keep those in our minds. We should remember them. We should live by them. Father, we pray you take these thoughts and use them. Bless them to the heart and mind of the child of God listener. In Jesus' name, amen.